Okay, so the depressive mood disorders, um, you know, really you can think of this as two major diagnoses, major depressive disorder and persistent depressive disorder. Um, although major depressive disorder has a few subtypes um, uh, under it that I'll describe to you. Uh, if you're looking at my slides at all, this would be um, slides for chapter 7. I'm on slide number 7. So major depressive disorder uh, involves when a person has a major depressive episode and also has never had a manic or hypomanic episode. So there's that exclusion criterion, right? They've never had that. Um, uh, it is possible for a person to have one major depressive episode and never have another. Uh, that would be diagnosed as major depressive episode, single episode. Uh, however, it's much more common uh, over time that people have recurrent episodes of major depression. That is, once they've had one, you know, then they're liable to have others throughout their life. Still, though, notice that that would mean that there's going to be fairly long periods in the person's life where they are not depressed, because we're still talking about episodes here. Um, uh, let's see. Um, it is possible for somebody to have such severe major depressive symptoms that they show psychotic features, meaning mostly meaning hallucinations and delusions, where they're liable to see and he see and hear things that aren't there, or believe things that are profoundly not true but really believe them. Um, we'll talk more about psychotic uh, symptoms specifically later on, but it is possible for a person to have them um, with major depression. Uh, typically, if that happens, it's going to happen when the person is at their most depressed, so when their mood is at its lowest, and the kind of psychotic features that are going to go along with it are going to be um, ones that go along with the idea of depression. So they're mood-congruent psychotic features. Uh, so that, for, for example, when somebody is very severely depressed and psychotic, they're often not going to have uh, delusions of grandeur where they think they're all-powerful or uh, stuff like that. They're going to have depressed <laughs> kinds of uh, uh, delusions and hallucinations. They're liable to believe that they are dead or their body is rotting or even believe that they don't exist or believe that their body is you know, uh, giving off awful odors, you know, something sort of depressive-themed to go along with that. Um, that's not the usual way that depression goes, you know, that it doesn't always come with psychotic features, but it is possible for that. And again, it's usually only, it's usually going to be when the person's at their lowest. Um, uh, there's also a subtype of major depressive disorder uh, with peripartum onset. Um, uh, peripartum is the term that's used in the DSM. Uh, a lot of people will refer to this as postpartum depression. Um, uh, postpartum would mean after you give birth to another human being. Um, peripartum means, uh, acknowledges that it can even actually begin before uh, childbirth. Uh, and um, so when people have postpartum depression, Unfortunately, the depression doesn't always wait until the baby's born. It can actually happen before that. And so the DSM refers to that as peripartum, meaning the onset is around the time of giving birth. Uh, peripartum onset depression would mean uh, that a person really has a full major depressive episode, so pretty severe kinds of depression in the weeks or month following uh, childbirth. This is distinguished from a milder range of mood change after giving birth, uh, that people will usually refer to as the baby blues. Uh, some change in mood and some sadness and uh, other kind of things like that is so common with um, 
uh, with childbirth that it's regarded as a normal part of the transition. Uh, and, uh, you know, so the term for that, the term for the milder form is baby blues. Uh, peripartum onset depression is more severe than that, where, where the person is really not functioning very well. Peripartum onset depression is, um, is a particular concern for a lot of reasons. Um, one is that um, it's dangerous for mom and it's dangerous for baby. Uh, you know, there have been cases of where babies have been neglected because of mom's depression. And, and um, uh, let's see, um, uh, there are some particular things um, with peripartum onset depression, too, that if a woman is has had depression before and she becomes pregnant, well, then she's at risk for having a depressive episode around the time of childbirth, right? Um, and so there is concern there about, okay, well, what do we do about that? Because we don't, um, we don't necessarily want this person to not, to stop, to have to stop taking medication or what, and peripartum depression is pretty awful, right? And so, um, so what do you do about that? The other thing about it is that, um, uh, if a woman has never had a depressive episode before in your, her life and she has a child and she gets, uh, depressed, uh, upon childbirth, the first time, then she does seem to be at greater risk for having subsequent depressive episodes, even without giving birth to other children necessarily, right? So it's almost like it can kick off this pattern of recurrent episodes of major depression, right? Um, let's see. Um, it is also possible for people to have a major depressive disorder with a seasonal pattern. Uh, this sometimes goes by the name of seasonal affective disorder, uh, the mood disorders used to be called affective disorders. Affect is a little bit different than mood, but, um, but anyway, that's what they used to be called. And so it kind of got that name there. Um, this is, uh, this is typically where a person has major depressive episodes, usually during the winter months that resolve sometime in the spring. Um, with this kind of pattern, some of the changes that we see in a major depressive episode Remember that some of those symptoms were defined with reference to a person's normal level of functioning. And so some of them can go either way, right? Sleeping too much or not sleeping at all, that kind of stuff. But there is a particular pattern for people with seasonal uh, onset depression that um, their sleep problems tend to go in the direction of sleeping too much rather than not sleeping enough. Their appetite patterns tend to go to overeating rather than losing their appetite. Um, and they tend to go towards uh, psychomotor retardation, slowing down of thinking and movement, rather than psychomotor agitation. Uh, you may also be aware that um, that seasonal pattern depression, uh, there have been some uh, studies that um, show that that may be treated with um, exposure to full-spectrum light, uh, and, um, and that's fairly frequently recommended now. Um, important to know, though, that that light needs to be directed toward the person's eyes, not toward their skin. I think um, I think when you see light therapy, sometimes people think, oh, it's like sun lamps, uh, and it makes maybe it makes your body make vitamin D or something like that. Um, but that doesn't seem to be what the um, uh, seasonal pattern depression is about. It's more about uh, having that sun, that full spectrum sunlight. Uh, hit the eyes and register and essentially probably has something to do with resetting 24-hour circadian rhythms, uh, our sleep-wake pattern. Um, 
Uh, anyway, so um, uh, that's a promising kind of uh, intervention. The other kind of uh, depressive disorder is the one that's more chronic and long-term. Um, I've gone to slide number eight, if you're looking at my slides. And this is the diagnosis of persistent uh, depressive disorder. Uh, it used to be called dysthymia. That term was around for a long time, so you'll probably hear it for a good while to come. Um, this is more con uh, persistent, long-term, chronic depression. The symptoms tend to be not as severe as major depressive disorder. Um, uh, a lot of de depressive symptoms and many similar symptoms, but usually people with persistent depressive disorder maintain some of their previous level of functioning. They get by, in a sense. They're not staying in bed all the time. They are going to work and going to school. It takes a lot of effort for them to do so, and they struggle to do so, um, but, um, but there's not as much impairment of functioning. Uh, this one is diagnosed if the symptoms uh, stay at this level for more than two years, right? So this is more of a chronic depression. Um, you may not have ever heard of the distinction between the episodic form of depression and the chronic form. One of the reasons for that um, not being necessarily a big deal right now is that uh, for, I'm pretty sure for all of the different treatments that we have that are effective for either one, it doesn't really matter which diagnosis um, a person has, the treatments are liable to be the same, right? So whether that be antidepressant medications or cognitive behavior therapy or other kinds of treatments, um, you know, the uh, there doesn't seem to be a difference in response, really, whether it's uh, one diagnosis or the other. So um, they're different patterns, but um, when it comes right down to it, similar kinds of treatment. Uh, actually, there, um, uh, the next... Um, Depressive disorder is uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD. This is a new diagnosis in the DSM-5. Uh, it's been under review for inclusion for a while, uh, but this is the first time it was actually included. This is much more severe than PMS kinds of symptoms, uh, premenstrual syndrome. Uh, this is essentially where a person has essentially uh, a full major depressive episode. Of course, it doesn't last as long, but full major depressive episode um, in the uh, uh, weeks leading up to her menstruation. Uh, the symptoms are usually going to subside once her, menstruation, once her menstrual period starts um, and get a lot better fairly quickly. But then again, the next month, you know, a few weeks later, liable to be pretty severe again. And so, so these are fairly severe kinds of symptoms where um, the person's functioning is really impaired. Uh, she's not able to uh, continue functioning um, because of that. And then the last of the depressive disorder diagnoses is also a new one in the DSM-5, Disruptive Mood Dysregulation Disorder. Disruptive Mood Dysregulation Disorder. Um, the, um, the story of this diagnosis is a little bit weird in that... Um, uh, essentially, this diagnosis was introduced in the DSM-5 because they recognized that people were misusing another diagnosis, and they needed to give them a diagnosis to use instead. Uh, you see, um, uh, bipolar disorder was being overdiagnosed in children and adolescents. And I'll address that a little bit more when I talk about bipolar disorder later, but um, <clears throat> that uh, it was overdiagnosed in children and adolescents. And... Um, <clears throat> Uh, essentially, 
child psychiatrists and other people uh, were, were giving that diagnosis, and it seemed to be just wrong um, <clears throat> for a lot of reasons. But uh, so what the authors of the DSM tried to do is to give them an alternative diagnosis to use instead so they wouldn't be slapping a bipolar diagnosis on all these kids and adolescents. And, um, and that's what this diagnosis is supposed to be. And it, um, it describes a pattern of persistent, that is all the time, severe irritability with uh, episodes of uh, temper outbursts and um, verbal rages and stuff like that, extreme temper tantrums happening, I think it's at least three times a week or something like that. Uh, sometimes when people look at this, they say, well, that, you know, where's the line there between normal childhood, right? Um, uh, but, um, but I do think the way that it's formulated, it does, uh, represent a fairly extreme level of symptoms and distress. Uh, unfortunately though, what's probably happened is that the child psychiatrists may be using this diagnosis, but they're still treating kids the same way and giving them, um, uh, essentially bipolar disorder, di um, uh, medications. So I'm not sure it's ended up changing all that much.